2: Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking, and wheeling. Wheeling—I've never said it like that. How many t- how many pods have we done? We started in 2020. Three years of pods. I've never pronounced it wheeling before. That's because it's
1: not. That's not how it's
4: pronounced. Are we sure it's you quite, haven't?
2: No, some people some people like to pronounce it wheel.
4: Yes, wheel, wheel. fortune. If you kind
2: of got one of those very particular voices. Anyway, um, in the UK and beyond, I'm Ned Bolting.
1: I'm Adam Tranter.
4: And I'm Laura Laker.
2: And we haven't potted for a while, have we? No, we haven't. Let's be honest. <laughs>
1: it shows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's everyone been up to? Uh, You've been writing a book, haven't you, Laura? Yeah. yeah well, that's yeah. kind of like every Old single news.
2: time we've got your book finished yet? No, it's not finished.
4: No. I went and did some volunteering on a cycle route in Somerset. Nice. Um, with the... Guy who founded Sustrans and um, his colleagues. How do I feel like you've done that before? I did that last year. Last so year, and I enjoyed anecdotes. it so much. You've gone back. That I have went back and helped to repoint a uh, parapet on a viaduct. Skills. I know. I okay. wasn't very good at it, but I tried. I tried my best, and that's what counts, I think. Yeah.
2: You've been busy with politics and rescuing um, a, an entire bankrupt city?
1: Uh, well, no, not quite. A little bit to that, but um, it sort of massively affects what uh, I'm doing, but also <laughs> sort of doesn't as well, because it's its own council entity with a combined authority, which is just on, on, on top yeah. for seven local authorities. But uh, let's not say uh, it's definitely not ideal. Uh, probably a way.
2: podcast subject for another day as well. Yeah, though. probably yeah. like
1: a big a big wash up. That would be uh, mm. that would be interesting. And, and actually, what it's highlighted is that a lot of people don't understand how councils work like who does what like what essential services are essential which bits are not so it's all uh yeah it's all go and i'd be bit i'm trying to sort of do other stuff as well so i've been um i went to an alpaca farm uh <laughs> as well um just trying to keep myself calm alpacas are very calming animals are so they they're yep.
4: lovely are they fluffy Big guys
1: they're really nice
2: in my mind though i kind of associate them a bit like with Emus and things like rod well, llamas. Like llamas, llamas like, are violent, they're quite pecky and aggressive. Now, alpacas
1: are super chill, <laughs> are they? yeah, they're just oh. like sheets with oh, long
4: necks. Someone's gonna write
1: in now and so say they're not. No, no, no they're not. Because uh, yeah, uh, llamas
4: are yeah. aggressive, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Like, they use them as guard animals yeah, uh, yeah. in places. I remember not going in ocean, they don't. No, <laughs> um, but I, and
2: I've got two animals in my house that yes, I've got two little kittens. Happens. What I got off Laura's mate, a neighbor. We oh, found a couple of kittens behind a wheelie kittens. bin in the East End. And now well, they're they yours. Them now, yeah, they're mine. Well, they're, yeah, they're your
1: liability. How much have they cost so far? Oh,
2: that honestly, that's another podcast story right there. Eep. It's not been cheap,
4: but they're so sweet. They're very sweet. They're, they're very such sweet. lovely animals. And
2: I got, that, I got them on the day of the um, World Cup final. And England played and lost to Spain. Thank you, I'd forgotten the final. The it's football final. commentator is, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the little female kitten we met, we named Mary Earps after the uh, England uh, goalkeeper, yeah. swearing Mary sure. Merp's for sure. Yeah, and the other one's called Billy Bragg. Anyway, um, that's that's us. That's us. Um, but this time we've got two people, extra people, interesting people, um, who've started a movement here in the UK, joining us as guests to try and inspire action. On road danger, which is uh, uh, like this summer in particular, I think has become massively bumped up for all the wrong reasons up the kind of order of what everybody should have been talking about and is talking about. So Safe Streets Now was born out of growing concerns over what campaigners have called an epidemic of speeding and red light jumping in Birmingham. Then over the summer, a tragic string of hit and run collisions galvanised those concerns. More voices have joined the call for action. And on the 30th of September, protests are planned in towns and cities across England to call for peace, space and justice on the roads. So with us are two guests, Matt McDonald, who founded Better Streets for Birmingham earlier this year and is also the coordinator of Safe Streets Now. And Sarah Chandler a, a video journalist who interviews fellow parents concerned about dangerous driving on Birmingham streets. Sarah, firstly... Where did you first meet Matt and how did how did your involvement in this whole thing sort of kick off and, and, and get going?
3: So, I mean, Safer Streets was something that I was really interested in myself. I've got three children, three teenage children when they were younger and I was doing the school run with, with, with them in Birmingham. I was just, you know, so aware of the fact that we were walking to school along streets that were just felt so unsafe, you know. Um, and it's the kind of thing that you sort of get used to. And I think parents get used to this constant sense of cars speeding by you in very close proximity to your children and we just accept it Mm. as somehow that this is normal. We've grown to accept that this is normal. And I just started to sort of question. Well, you know, is this is this normal? Is this how it should be? And I live in a part of Birmingham that, to all intents and purposes, is is a lovely leafy part of Birmingham. So, in no way is it you know the the busiest, uh, most traffic laden part of Birmingham. And so there had been several crashes around where I live. Luckily, late late at night, so nobody was seriously injured. But one of them was just outside my daughter's secondary school, Queensbridge school, and uh, a car had gone straight into um, the pedestrian crossing and taken out the traffic lights. And I sort of was there quite early on in the scene. And um, yeah, I I saw the aftermath. Luckily, as I say, nobody was killed. And then about two weeks after that, I was just sort of coming home past that spot. And I saw somebody giving out leaflets and uh, basically campaigning. And that was Matt. That was Matt, (laughs) (laughs) right. So I got off my bike because I'd Cycled back. I'd actually just been filming some people on the A38 cycle route about something completely different. Anyway, I saw Matt and came and waved at him, and he waved back at me. So um, went over to chat, and um, he. Was interesting and was telling me that what he was doing. So I, um, I started interviewing him with my phone, and uh, that's really how we met, wasn't it, Matt? And yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So what were you doing there, Matt? What was your, uh, what, what landed you on the street handing out
0: leaflets? That well, day? so I, yeah, it was it was a rather um, fortunate encounter with Sarah on that day, and I, I'm not sure I've ever told you this, Sarah, but I, I waved at you because I thought you were someone
3: else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that I all the time. Everyone thinks they've met me before. <laughs>
0: It's my poor vision, which I'm in complete denial about, but i thought I thought you were someone else who was I was expecting to come, so i was I was waving at you uh, completely thinking thinking that, but um what we were doing there was raising awareness of a small data study that we'd done the week before, so the location itself is just outside a secondary school, and this was where this collision had been and and the, the vehicle I think had gone into some crash barriers, hadn't it? um
3: there had been two actually there had been on um, one okay, collision yeah. taking out a set of traffic lights, you know, costing the council goodness knows how much money to repair. That's another issue. And then there was another one that had taken out the crash barrier Opposite the outside the secondary school, so all you know within the space of a couple of months
0: and when the schools are being kicked out, that area would have been absolutely teeming with children and and the consequences could have been you know incredibly bad. We had done a survey the week before, so we 'd gone the stall where I met Sarah was on, on a Friday afternoon at the time that the school was getting kicked out. Um, And we'd been there a week before at exactly the same time on a Friday. And we'd taken this sort of pocket radar device to measure the speed of traffic on the roads that adjoins the school, which is a 20 mile an hour road. And what we'd found, we measured the speed of 100 cars and 91 of them. So 91% of, of the drivers were over the speed limit. And We were doing this as part of a campaign to raise awareness of the impact that antisocial driving has on communities around Birmingham, to try and make people kind of stop and think about the things that Sarah so rightly says we kind of accept as normal, to stop and kind of reflect on them a little bit and think actually these are parts of our lives and maybe they shouldn't be part of our lives. Maybe things could be different. So we, we were sort of highlighting the prevalence of speeding and the danger that it posed to the kids. Um, and we'd set up a stall. We'd made some very sort of blue Peter 20 mile an hour signs that we were displaying on the crash barriers. And we were giving out leaflets that kind of advertised the findings of our study just to raise awareness of the issue, essentially. Um, and by, by very good fortune, Sarah walked past.
1: Yeah. And our... our, our um paths of, of obviously crossing my other job as commission in the west midlands and it is very much for me kind of um you know some of the faces that have been involved in your group i kind of know and recognize from being interested in in active travel and in cycling but the thing that's really sort of not uh, surprised me to i guess to start with is the is it, just how much these issues have struck a called because obviously some of the collisions you've talked about very early on when the group has been around a little bit but kind of what brought people together is the really shocking horrific collisions um, the hit and runs that you mentioned Sarah that just seems to all happen in very quick succession and no one really had an answer of what would change, what we and and that's that's what the groups I think been so. Can you just remind us so without, so good at. without dwelling
2: yeah. on the detail necessarily, but I think it's quite important to remind totally, it, yeah. Remind people what went on.
1: Well, yeah, we had about a period of four weeks where pedestrians and cyclists, several pedestrians and cyclists, were killed or seriously injured, and what brought those incidents together as well were they were in in areas, often quite deprived areas where. In motor cities like Birmingham, the kind of car is king. It's a seven-lane highway outside and, you know, a lad was crossing the road on his bike, a 12-year-old, and the car driver has been arrested for suspicion of causing death by dangerous driving while under the influence of drugs. And, you know, a lot of these incidents have been hit and run. So they were kind of the worst incidents you can imagine happening all in a very concentrated period of time. And Mm. I certainly felt, you know, having done this job now but also haven't been a campaigner before that it was out of control because you just didn't know you know I couldn't say that's it there won't be any more incidents or you know you just didn't know when the next incident would be and that is still the case now and that's why I think this is such an important topic and and has galvanized so many people and I think that's the point really with this is not about cycling or walking really per se I've met lots of new people whose voices haven't been heard for so long, and now all of a sudden have a voice because of this this movement. So, I guess, Laura, you're, you're sort of you've been reporting this as a journalist. I guess it feels to me that this is taking a notch up in terms of awareness on the uh, yeah. agenda.
4: Yeah, it does. And um, talking to you, Matt, for an article, talking, to, I talked to both of you for an, for an article, and one thing that struck me is it just seems like obviously this problem's been going on for a long time. But it seems like that, you know, the citizen science, the radar, the gun that you had, and the stats that you had that you presented outside the school. And you were saying that other parents from different areas were getting in touch with you and saying that it's really bad in my area too. And that, Sarah, you'd kind of separately started feeling frustrated about this and concerned for your children. And I don't know, perhaps it's become a sort of focus point and a way for people to be able to express this concern where perhaps before separately they might have just been saying, gosh, that was a dangerous bit of driving, and then, well, what can we do?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I I think with road traffic collisions, car culture, I mean, car culture is strong everywhere, but it's particularly strong in Birmingham. Birmingham has really strong historic ties to the motor industry. You know, it was a city that was really built around the car, and people often struggle conceptually to sort of imagine ways that they could get around without using a car. But I, I think... Because of that, the road traffic collisions are often seen almost as, you know, sort of acts of God or just something that happens, that that, there are kind of price that you pay for having that convenience of being able to get everywhere by car. Um, But in terms of what we were doing, in terms of the kind of data collection and trying to quantify and articulate this problem, that preempted the really awful spate of events that Adam's just described. And I think in a way, having that model kind of ready to go, just helped us kind of tap into the to the sort of uh, popular feeling about the fact that this was a really unacceptable level of violence for a city to be experiencing and the people that you've mentioned there so that the school that got in touch with us the mosque that got in touch with us this this was all before this spate of horrendous deaths that occurred so this was just on the back of uh, talking about 20 mile an hour speed limits and, and sarah's like excellent film and Ability to kind of amplify what we were doing and spread the message, um, which is why it was it was so kind of uh, serendipitous that we that we met because it, it Sarah Sarah's film work has really helped spread the message about what we're doing. It's told people's stories in a way that that just hasn't been done to just challenge those assumptions that people have that this is this is normal mm-hmm. and make people question them.
4: Yeah, and you've managed to connect with um, different communities, the big South Asian community in Birmingham, and a lot of concerns crossing that seven lane road where the boy was killed in particular and you did quite a powerful series of interviews with people parents who are crossing that road sometimes six times a day and the real fears that they have both for themselves and for their children and it's very powerful to watch
3: yeah I mean I I went I met up with those um, mothers not not all mothers some fathers as well um sort of at the the school run um time and just sort of you know, asked a few of them if they would have an interview with me and tell me, you know, what it was like for them. And um, yeah, I was really sort of surprised actually how, and I think they were surprised as well um, by how deeply affected actually they were on a day-to-day basis. And Matt also came along that day and um, we met up with a a local councillor there and sort of thought about, you know, what is it that we can do to to help them here um, and get their story told in a more sort of amplified way yeah
4: yeah it has been really powerful and it's and it's I think that's one of the things that's helped it grow beyond birmingham and now there's this um there's these series of protests so so was it the series of hit and runs fatal hit and runs that kind of made it more into a, a national campaign?
3: I think that with the uh, particularly the King's Heath protest, which was where a young boy was um walking to school with his older sibling and was was knocked over at the crossing. It's the Kingsleaf High Street. It's a very busy, popular area. And I think the protests that came days after that happened, because the community were really, really shocked, and it's quite a a, a tight-knit community there, Mm -hmm. And I think it was a shock for people to see somebody like Matt <laughs> with a megaphone. Uh, you know, it's never a pleasure <laughs> making, surprise, You it? are the <laughs> man with the <laughs> megaphone. Yeah, right. But making such a, a a noise and a fuss and mm. justifiably about something quite mm. so horrific. Mm. And I will mention as well that it, that that crossing in 2011, um, a young girl called Hope Fennel was killed at that crossing. Now, for me as a mother, when my parents, sorry, when my children were were younger, that was a really, that had a massive impact on me. And, um, you know, Nazan Fennell has campaigned, yes, her her mum has campaigned so hard to get changes made. And I don't think that anything has happened since. Um, And so it was just really, really upsetting. And, you know, i absolutely, you know, heart goes out to to Nazan Fennell, who's all, you know, still in so much pain. Sorry, it makes me quite emotional. But um, yeah, and I just, you know, I just thought it was really quite poignant for Matt to be making that speech at that same crossing um, 12 years on. What's the plan of
2: action with regards, so Safe Streets now are organising, are they the organisation behind September 30th? Yeah. So that's... that's so. Soon, right? That's this weekend. That's, <laughs> I don't know, it is, yeah. I'm assuming this podcast is going yeah. to out before T- that.
0: Ter- terrifyingly, seen, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, what's the plan? Yeah. Well, so Safe Streets Now is 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 a coalition of groups across the country. So, it, I mean, it's it's quite a loose kind of organisational structure, and it emerged from, as Sarah's saying, people people kind of seeing what was going on in Birmingham and seeing the fact that you know ordinary people were taking to the streets, and we. Employed a tactic whereby we would go out on uh, green pedestrian signals and we would hold up signage, and the, in in a very transient sense, we were enabling communities to physically reclaim spaces where really atrocious things had happened, and also, you know, just kind of showing that little bit of defiance and that little bit of almost borderline civil disobedience without without going down the whole gluing ourselves to things and getting arrested and all the rest of it, but it was powerful for the people who were involved and i think it generated some very powerful kind of visual imagery as well in terms of just ordinary people stopping traffic and saying think about what you're doing you know and through that we we sort of made links with other groups across the country because it's not a uniquely birmingham problem um as we all know what you know far too well you know and groups across the country were, were interested in what we were doing and we and and by talking to them, and um, there was a group in Manchester who were also organising really excellent things called uh, Walk, Ride, GM. We had a chat with them to see if we could kind of do an action on the same day over the summer. And because it didn't quite work out, we then sort of took a step back and said, look, well, why don't we just plan an action like a few months down the line and try and get more cities involved. And that, and that's where the Safe Streets Now kind of um, coalition arose from in the first place. And so it's, you know, it's groups across the country who are, who are contributing to it. And we're hoping that by having this kind of disseminated action, whereby people are standing up and saying, actually, no, we don't, we don't accept the level of fear that we have to live with. You know, we don't accept the fact that often there's no justice for the for the victims of road violence. We don't accept the fact that we don't have protected space to, to walk, uh, wheel and scoot around the areas where we live, that people will stand up and listen. And the, the, the people who are kind of empowered nationally will, will sit up and listen and, and you know, maybe we can get some messaging across to them in, in the way that we have started to manage to achieve to a small extent in Birmingham.
1: And how would you, how would you say... I guess locally what you started regionally and trying to carry that out nationally as well you know how do you feel it has been received and and uh, I guess for people listening what kind of changes are do you think are necessary like I guess one point is and I totally on bored with getting it on the radar on the agenda because this, this is a total societal blind spot but yeah mm-hmm. um, I, I Even talked about at all? No, not really. Yeah. 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 And um people start Yeah, Yeah. and and we can go on about sentencing and all of the stuff that's sort of totally wrong in this in this in this space. But from your point of view, how do you think it was received locally? What are you hoping for the reception to be nationally? And what's the what are the changes that you would hope would come out of of movement like this?
3: Well, I'll start and just say that your original idea with the Beers for Better campaign was to start affecting drivers' behaviour. And I think that was sort of like the the idea and maybe just by bringing people's attention to the fact, bringing the drivers who were being stopped in the traffic jams um, with, with our protests, that actually, you know, th- that they can change their behaviour. Um, that perhaps, you know, touching your mobile phone is not such a great idea when you're, you know, you you should just be getting from A to B safely. You shouldn't be touching your mobile phone. And so by doing these campaigns, then I, I would hope that it would start to make people think and question. I mean, I'm a driver and I, yeah, I, I'm actually far more aware of how I'm driving now that we've really started to talk about it. So that would be the first thing. Mm, mm.
0: I think, so when, when we started in the very first campaign back back outside Queensbridge School for the 20 mile an hour zone, on our B for better demands, which I suppose are fairly generic, were, you know, better standards from drivers, better enforcement of traffic laws and better space for pedestrians and cyclists and in a way that i mean that hasn't really changed um what we've developed through safe streets now because we've had time to kind of reflect on what safety means is is these three notions of peace space and justice so peace being you know that freedom from the fear that sarah describes so well when you've got little kids and you 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 don't want to let go their hands as you walk down the street or you've got teenage kids and, and you you live in fear for what's going to happen when they're late home at night space in terms of having the ability to get around without a car safely so you know by bike or scooter like having that physical space that's set aside for you to do that Um, and then justice is is along the theme of what happens to people who kind of perpetrate these awful awful incidents on the roads because they have literally no respect for the responsibilities that driving entails so you know we've seen a lot of really awful cases come to court where People have several people have been killed because people have been speeding, you know, in three digits or drug driving or whatever. And most of the time, these guys are getting their licenses back eventually after doing some prison time. And what's really struck us as well is the fact that um, a lot of the time, in fact, pretty much most of the time, as far as we can tell, they're they're getting their keys, not necessarily their keys, but they're they're not being deprived of their licenses um, immediately after the index offense. So unless you get remanded in custody, right? If you if you go and knock over a child and kill them, um, you go to a police station, within 24 hours you, you will be bailed unless you're being remanded. You, your license is not suspended at that point. And these cases, we're seeing cases coming into court now in Birmingham that are related to incidents that have happened in 2019. So, you know, for, 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 for four years, these guys will still have been out driving on the streets of Birmingham, most mm. likely. And, and that, that is just a, a real perversion of justice. So I mean, coming back to your question about specific demands. So we've, there are so many things that need to change, right? And what we've done is we've kind of put forward these three themes and we've hung, we've hung specific demands on each one. We, we sort of had a bit of group think about this and to decide. Our overarching position is there there is a long list of demands to be made in each one. But the, the ones that we've talked about within the sphere of justice are that the interim driving bans when people are arrested should be the norm. And that, lifetime driving ban should be the norm for people who kill as a result of being deliberately irresponsible behind the wheel. In terms of peace what we're talking about is the need to kind of regulate the automotive industry a bit better and for new cars to have speed limiters put on them because there is no reason that a car that's on the street should be able to do 130, 140 miles an hour. Like, you know, if 80, 90 miles an hour is, is is definitely the fastest that a car should be going. I mean, too fast, obviously, but... And then within within space, what we're calling for is a reinstatement of the Active Travel Fund because, you know, the cuts to the Active Travel Fund that have happened just a few months ago, I believe, um, are, are going to have a really devastating impact on people's ability to walk and cycle safely. And, and people will probably, you know, there will be fatalities, there will be serious injuries that result so
3: i'd love to pop um pavement parking onto space as well yeah Yeah. um (laughs) you know particularly i was speaking to uh transport campaigner um sarah rennie the other day talking about her experiences of trying to get about just trying to get past um parked cars having to move onto the road um Mm. and just you know (laughs) why why do we do that why do we put obstacles in people's way even you know parents with pushchairs people in wheelchairs people who are partially sighted um, and yet we we force them to walk onto the road. And what kind of society does that?
1: I think that's a really. Um, I'm fascinated by the the whole pavement parking legislation um, because it, for me, it's like a it's a, it's a sort of metaphor for uh, what we have to overcome. Because for listeners that don't know, you know, the government had a consultation on pavement parking. You know, whether they should ban it, whether they should introduce new rules or give councils new powers, etc. Someone was celebrating the a thousandth day since that consultation had closed and the government have still not issued a response and i find it just sort of fascinating because you know i read a daily express article that had a vote a a reader vote on and something like 80 percent of daily express readers are supportive of a payment parking ban this is not really that contentious but because It is seen as you know uh, being potentially you know a war on the motorist or anything that sort of slightly uh, goes against this sort of social norm that we have around driving it's been constantly kicked into the long grass and that to me just is, is a small metaphor for everything that we're sort of tackling in society whether it comes from you know road justice and I was just reading an article the other day that I posted about, you know, a uh, a chap who was already disqualified from dr- driving, Jason Campbell. He killed two pedestrians while doing fifty mile an hour and a thirty. He fled the scene. He was inhaling nitrous oxide, the laughing, so-called laughing gas, and he will serve eight years and nine months, which is actually quite a is, it's, it's quite a significant sentence. I've seen much lighter sentences than that you can have an argument that killing two people while being negligent in that way, you know, the, the, the new maximum is, is life for, for causing death by dangerous driving. But once he leaves prison, he'll only have a three year driving ban. So he'll be, (laughs) he'll, he'll be able to take a, he has to take an extended retest. Um, but he will be able to drive again. And there are so many stories like that, where people are killing people. They have a couple of years in prison and they're having a three year driving ban. And, uh, uh, that just for me tells me something about you know society what I, and what kind I, of society we have.
2: If I were in your shoes, if I was an activist, a lobbyist, you know, trying to achieve the the grand and quite correct things that you are trying to achieve, the, the big shifts, so I think I probably, Adam, you don't have to comment on this, but I think I would, I think I would give up on this government because my suspicion is, unless everyone's got it horribly wrong, they're not going to do a damn thing. And the smart, the smart thing would be to get yourselves down to the Labour Party conference and talk to the government that's going to come in and get them fully behind some of these big changes that you want to introduce.
0: So, I mean, I, I, I think that's, that's a, a reasonable prediction from where <laughs> I sit with pretty much zero political expertise whatsoever, but it, it seems to be the way the wind is blowing. Mm. Um, so we're at a point now where, where the major parties are thinking about their manifestos and thinking about policy yeah. and thinking about yeah. stuff like that, which is why we want to kind of, in terms of strategy, this is why we we want to make this big noise now and we want to yeah, get it's quite this one yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. we we want to get this topic on in the conversation and i mean you know we we have um both our main political parties are, are are in endless fear of the Daily Express and the Daily Mail, and and you know seek to to cultivate policy through them to to quite a, quite a big extent. But what Adam said about that that poll is really interesting, is interesting because yeah. and 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 that's where in fact a lot of our strategy came from. Like before before all the, all the horrendous road deaths and everything was to to say actually let's let's not talk about um you know um cycle lanes and ltns and stuff i mean let's talk about them still but let's let's not make that our main focus yeah. let's talk about the ways in which people's lives are really impacted yeah, by right, car yeah, access by yeah. car culture and you can see that even in communities where people would conventionally see the sorts of things that we talk about as abject nonsense there's a There's you know big support for um having the ability to walk around the area where you live without having to squeeze past cars there's big support for your children obviously to get to school without being killed I mean it goes yeah. without saying right or to you know to to have roads that are clear of people who are who are driving inconsiderately and dangerously because they're on the mobile phone or whatever so we're trying to tap into those issues um, and get a bit more oomph behind our movement, and to to get a bit more leverage for what we think are other kind of answers to those problems. So we're we're looking the other way, you know, the but other end in, of the telescope. You're almost.
2: also in quite a tricky space, aren't you? Because of the way things have played out over the last year or so, in that as soon as you stand at a, tra- at a set of traffic lights and block the road, you've got to be very c- careful and clear about that messaging, haven't you? Because you know, instinctively. An annoyed motorist just can look out the window. What again? Yeah. you know and and straight away, mentally you'll be put in the same bracket as all their kind of bete noirs and the people who've been yeah. annoying them and them, you know and garnering all this kind of condemnation in the mainstream media as well so yeah. is that the smart tactic at this point so, uh, is this something you discuss I mean and when you're actually doing it, what kind of <laughs> obviously it is I think, but, or, <laughs> and when you're when you're on the street doing these kind of actions, genuinely, what kind of feedback do you get? what kind of sense of like is this message getting through or are you just antagonizing people?
3: Well, feedback I can tell you, um, <laughs> because um, there are marshals at these events, and the marshals. So um, the the traffic isn't held up for very long for the yep. start. So it's just been. So you not doing.
1: You, to just to be clear, you go on the green phasing on, you and know, the pedestrian but, crossing. When the green man is, you cross over. Yeah.
3: Yes, and hold up polite signs, Um, (laughs) you know, thoughtless thoughtless driving kills. And I think, you know, if you're sitting in your car and you're reading that, then perhaps you might reflect on what thoughtless driving is. Um, There are also marshals who will approach drivers, especially ones that look a little bit perturbed um, or irate at being held up and have a conversation with them. And the feedback that the marshals have have given is that actually most people, when they understand that they're only going to be held up for, you know, 20 20 seconds, is one of acceptance um yeah. and i think in a city like birmingham where you are held up as a driver all the time you yeah. know, if, yeah, you can't, yeah. if you can't get yeah. your head around a few people being on the road um yeah. then you know <laughs> and,
0: and and especially where you're taking up space where, where something really awful has happened and you're saying yeah. you know actually as a community we just want to reflect on this and and yeah. hold this space for a very short period of time like yeah. less than a minute yeah so, apologies for any inconveniences causing you, um, but this is what we're going to do. It's
2: still quite a lot of messaging it, to get through in a short space of time. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: think I think our stewards do a, a slightly uh, more concise job of it <laughs> than I just did there. But um, um, you know, they essentially kind of say, "Look, you're going to be here for thirty seconds to a minute max, and please, please don't get stressed because mm. we, we're not going to block the road." And I, uh, but I, the, the point you made is, is is a really interesting one, and it, it, it I mean, it's a tactic that's evolved um, from the first action that we did, where we we decided to give it a go. And we, we're deliberately not going down the route of blocking roads and, um, you know, causing really overt kind of civil disobedience. Mm. But we are in a grey area. I had quite an interesting chat with um, a barrister friend about this the other day who very kindly, although it's not his area of expertise, kind of looked into the 2023 public order legislation about... Um, so there is, a, there is a kind of sentence in it, which I won't remember word for word, but it's essentially like you infrastructure should only be used for its designated purpose so if you're going into the road even if you're going on a green pedestrian signal where you're allowed to be there if you go there and hold up a sign are you you know you no can you can argue road, your yeah, yeah yeah so so essentially i think you know were that were the case to come to court in any way it would be quite an interesting test of that legislation so we, we are we are in this gray area i think sure. you could you could make a legal argument that we are crossing the road uh, you can make a legal argument that we're not using the road for its intended purpose and that would obviously play out but um I mean what we found in Birmingham and I really hope that other cities and towns and areas who are taking this on on the se- yeah. in, on the 30th find as well is that we we haven't had any trouble from the police um, you know they they've barely been there for a lot of the stuff that we've done we've let them know that what we're going to do and it's not it's it's we're not causing any disruption we're not causing tailbacks we're not we're not we're not generating those stories that you then get on national press yeah, where someone's yeah. like my mum had a stroke and she yeah. can get to us which is awful you know obviously I massively feel for people who've, who've been through that situation while I completely understand what just Stop Oil are doing and the importance of their message and, and the rest of it it's 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 a, it's a real tension isn't it but I think we are just we're just the right side of civil disobedience with what we're doing um, it's empowering for people but it's not disruptive enough to cause people to get really annoyed with us
3: so. we hope
4: um, It's interesting to to think about kind of making change and who you're targeting and what the potential is for change and talking about the police. That is one area in Birmingham where change has has happened as a result of your protests and um, Adam and the mayor, Andy Street, calling for action by the police on dangerous driving. And Operation Triton has come out of that, which has introduced a portal so people can um, submit helmet camera footage, bike camera, uh, dash camera footage and also various blitzes on dangerous drivers that I think Adam's attended to tackle some of these problems that you've talked about. So there has been a very tangible success, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I almost feel like I should let you guys critique whether... It, uh, but my my, uh, my my gut on this, and it's, it's a sort of fairly strange opinion to have, but um, is that time will show that we need to continue this and do more so it is very tempting to say it's po- and it's positive because some folk and and the police were uh, like you know probably not giving this attention it deserved up until we we made it uh, an issue and because and so- if
4: they were people wouldn't be driving in the way that they were would they they would they would think well i'm going to get caught and if I think it's gotten worse because of police cuts I because think, uh, police yeah. have been prioritised 100 roads police have been cut and it hasn't been prioritised I think
1: if you look at you know there's a stat that shows that uh, more people are killed by drivers than by murder and terrorism, and terrorism combined, combined yeah. um, you know that, that, that sort of highlights you know there's there is money in policing for counterterrorism, for example not to say that we shouldn't be spending money on counterterrorism; we absolutely should be but we should also be considering just the scale of this issue and what I found from going on these police operations is I got some reassurance from them but also it, it's really scary mm. just how widespread this is so um are I, there,
2: Adam are there model you know like we always uphold Denmark and the ne- and the Netherlands when we talk about cycling infrastructure are there model countries to look at and go well their are incidents of fatalities caused by virus? there was yeah. the case
4: oh. of um in France they had a kind of zero tolerance approach to drink driving a few years back quite a few years back now yeah. and the drink driving rate you know anyone caught drink driving that was it massive penalty that happened on the um, tour de France I remember yeah. I remember that uh, right yeah Because <laughs> drink
2: driving used to be Honestly, amongst the the entourage around the Tour de France, quite du rigueur okay. to use a French term. Wow, well, yeah. And then they just went zero yeah. tolerance, and over. it had
4: a, such a massive impact. You know, people the message got out there. Yeah, people understood it, and they stopped doing it because once the threat of losing your license is there, and especially in the and UK, UK where we're so dependent mm, on yeah. our cars, so few yeah. other options.
1: I wonder whether they let like the results that people get in courts. are just don't know whether they are enough of a deterrent and so much of the worst incidents i see are people who don't even have driving licenses so the Mm. the deterrence of a lifetime ban however i'm supportive of it Mm. it's just way more complex than that but the thing i've tried to communicate with police and the thing that worried me when i went out with police is i spent an hour with a single crew police officer in a traffic car and in that hour we were involved in three separate police pursuits basically and when you pulled over a driver when he pulled over a driver you you knew there were like four or five vehicles there that you could have pulled over that would probably have yielded the same result it was so worrying just how widespread it was the first uh, was a stolen motorbike the the second guy fled the car inside the car were class a drugs and imitation firearms the third one had 10 mobile phones a baseball bat and residue of drugs so the 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 thing for me is that this is a policing priority but it's not been seen it's been seen as a separate thing, oh, it's roads policing. Whereas if you tackle these things in communities, you also tackle the other stuff that blights communities like mm. drug dealing, mm. uh, antisocial behaviour, and other stuff. But we have such a blind spot about protecting the kind of freedom of motoring um, that we, you know, that was ultimately why speed cameras got turned off in the first place because it was, we allowed speed cameras to be associated with the war on motoring so that basically there's no funding for speed cameras and that's why you see them facing the wrong way and and not doing anything that's how powerful this narrative is and that's how big the um challenge is
3: i can walk um five five minutes from my front door and um because this is what i've been doing <laughs> is capturing speeding cars you know filming them um which has actually turned out to be you know fairly dangerous and something that I've had to really consider actually my own, my own personal safety um the repercussions the, um, the repercussions on the drivers yes so yeah. i can literally walk 5 minutes wait on this nearby road or any given nearby road actually for a few minutes and there will be a car going at 50 60 70 Um, miles an hour Uh, you know any night give me any night of the week and I can do it and when I was doing it fairly recently I actually got shot at not with a not with a firearm not with a real firearm but one of those you know a gel blaster blaster. so my husband was with me and we got fired at by this and he was like if I hadn't had my glasses on that I wouldn't What is it? Blind. it's a a, yeah it's an imitation gun and they fire gel pellets right They also BB BB gun they also fire them at contractors who are working in the road I mean it's just it's just lawless Mm, you know absolutely mm. lawless and this is just happening you know
1: <laughs> just I remind, reminded me of the clip that you guys did with bbc news and they came and interviewed you and yeah as they were interviewing they had to stop the interview because there was there was two guys racing their cars down the road outside, school it. School uh, outside, the, outside the primary school outside the
3: secondary yeah. school oh, outside gosh. two schools and it's just I think it's just got to a point where drivers are these kind of drivers. I mean, there's, that's a separate class of driver, and mercifully, they're they're small in number, but they st- they're still quite widespread. Mm. You know, they, they just they just do it with impunity because nobody and nothing has stopped them. Um, and then, so, those
2: drivers are not going to be susceptible to your messaging, right?
3: Yeah, I they're, think so, you're not going to get through. that. But they might be susceptible to enforcement. So, that, so road, that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. where it comes
2: down to funding for roads police and a different. Yeah. I mean,
0: I I, I wouldn't like to completely give up on anyone in all of this. I think, you know, people can... Yeah. it's it's easy to demonise people yeah. and it's easy to kind of go, you know, these, these guys, I mean, because they are, they. you know, the things they do are awful. They, you know, people having nitrous and doing 70 and 20, 20 mile an hour areas and knocking over kids. I mean, it's diabolical, but um, in,
2: but they are all individuals within. Yeah. Individual. Well, it's
0: not, they all have communities. They all have yeah, a family. They, yeah. All, yeah. you know, I, I, I think it speaks to like just a, a wider kind of disintegration, of the social fabric that people should feel you know that that complete lack of concern for yeah. their fellow human beings that they feel enabled to do that and, and I think that,
4: yeah. yeah and also I think people don't always realize how bad things could be if if something goes wrong in that situation. I was talking to a guy who's a experienced motorbiker and he said that um, he was turning right at a junction and um, off of a main road and someone undertook him to turn right also and she hit him and he went up in the air and he broke something i can't remember what but it was bad and mm. she was so shocked at what had happened she was just in her mind she was just trying to get past him just trying to nip past and all she could see was that kind of gap mm. Mm. and had totally forgotten and i think it's made me think since talking to him about this i just i think a lot of people just don't just purely don't realize yeah. i think if if we if you know i don't know remember those advertising campaigns if you could you know if yeah. you could just make me stop stop and think actually there's a real person there. The consequences could yeah. be horrific. The, uh,
0: the, the, this is what I, this, this is um, exactly what I think as well. In terms of like the enforcement is really important, and the enforcement is how we deal with this problem immediately. And you know the, these guys need to be pulled off the road, man, because they, they they're causing immense amounts of danger to everyone in our communities. But the 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 longer term objective here is educating people and and making people care and making because you know. Um, it, like you said, when you're behind the wheel of a car, it's really it's really hard to appreciate what your actions
1: feel like. To someone who's outside the car, yeah, you're detached you know? from your immediate yeah. environment. Yeah. And you the can... new cars yeah. are even worse, right? They yeah. they make you feel like you're in a bubble that's yeah. in, you can't even hear the outside yeah. world. And you
0: can suddenly look at your speedo and your you know, particularly on a, and and this is the other thing about infrastructure as well. Because Birmingham has a lot of big roads and. When on the very few occasions that I do drive, if I'm if I'm driving along one of the big roads where it's sort of two lanes either side, I, c- I can look down at my speedo and suddenly realise I'm you know I'm, I'm speeding. I didn't mm. not intentionally the not thinking about it. It's just the speed. road is sort of inviting you mm. to travel at that speed. So uh, you know, uh, it's like so much of this is about making people aware. And uh, but in terms of what's worked previously via public health messaging and stuff. You know, um, back in the day, there was really good stuff around seat belts, really good stuff around drink driving and, and you know, big nationally funded campaigns true, that made people aware. And I think that's a really important element of this. Not to detract from what the police do. I mean, they do an amazing job, but as Adam says, in really difficult circumstances. I'm so glad that they've been out there. and. And in terms of feeding back to you specifically, like the the improvements to third party reporting, so the portals whereby people can submit dash cam footage or, or helmet footage have been really well received. And people, people are like, you know, people on our groups are, are delighted by the results that they're now getting, whereas previously they were just sending these things out into the ether. So, so these things are making a difference. But if, if we want to tackle this in the long run, if we, if we want to get to where places like Helsinki and Oslo are, where they've achieved vision zero, where no one dies under the wheel of a car, which is a perfectly attainable objective, we need to be thinking about education as well. And we need to be thinking about bringing everyone along with us and, and not just like demonising a section of people saying they're beyond hope, you know. I mean, maybe some people are, but not all of them.
2: Yeah, fair fair, fair point. Fair point about the two campaigns as well, and the historical campaigns that you can learn from, I mm. guess, yeah.
1: Talking of historical campaigns, I guess, I, I can't not think, and, and this may be an unfair comparison because of its weighty success and the pressure that would put you under but <laughs> but i can't help but think the, the similarities between the people involved in these campaigns uh, ultimately parents often uh, mothers uh, with the the stop the kinder Moored, um campaign in the netherlands in the 70s stop the child murder is the translation and they did uh you know they did fight in similar ways they probably stretch some of the civil disobedience you know different different country long time ago different rules they definitely put um,
4: barriers in the road they, that famous yeah. footage of the driver getting out taking which the barrier was away which decade this? 1970s
1: 70s, yeah. yeah so obviously you know i think you've had 50 years of of motor dominance take hold since then mm. you're fighting a much harder fight but do you ever look at those campaigns and, and and think you know this is what we need this is what what we should be doing this is what we are doing because to me it feels like this is the closest the, the 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 campaign action you have on on the Saturday on the on the 30th sorry it's the closest i've probably ever seen to this kind of coordination and
3: I mean, I hadn't heard of Stop Kindermord until probably earlier on this year. And then when I sort of started to, to look into it, I said, oh, that's interesting. Uh, that's why it's so, you know, cycle friendly in the Netherlands and um, also in, in Sweden and Scandinavian countries generally. And so and I think possibly just at a sort of subconscious level, I guess we'd already tapped into the fact that. Uh, and I suppose that's why I was only interviewing parents. I wasn't interviewing the politicians that were, you know, possibly pushing themselves forwards to be interviewed just the parents just to get the voices heard just so that politicians and people who have the power to change things can actually hear that actually this is something that people are interested in and care about and you know listen to them and you know (laughs) let's do something about it.
0: Uh, I think as as you said um, Adam it is a massive comparison and uh, no pressure whatsoever there yeah. um, you know um obviously stop, stop the kinder Mud was was a transformative campaign and um obviously had its roots as some of our campaigning does in, in, in the tragic death of um of its of its founder's six-year-old daughter um who was oh, get, right? killed by is a drunk that? driver i believe so but yeah, right. please yeah. he was a, new, he was a, journalist. Yeah, a yeah, journalist yeah 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 mm-hmm. um so I mean yeah I you know there, there there are parallels and obviously to be mentioned in the same breath as them as them is 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 a, is a big honor for our campaign I think we'll have to wait to see what happens you know we 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 as you said we're fighting a very different battle there's 40.8 million cars on the streets of the UK now and it was a lot less in the in the 1970s you know it was a much more liberal country um and also, to be fair and accurate, you know the, the actual death rates were much much higher back then because you know in the seventies this is before we'd had all these kind of interventions such as uh, developments in automotive engineering, public health campaigns, and things that you know there, there have been a lot of really good people who've made improving the safety on our roads their life's work in different guises, and between them they've saved thousands of lives. There's no there's no doubt about that. But what we're saying is that we don't still accept that, you know, 1,700 people should die a year in the UK when there are places in the world where no one dies, you know, Mm -hmm. that we need to aim higher and be better and and create safer streets for all of us, um, because it it will be to everyone's benefit ultimately.
2: Well, listen, I mean, if there's a little, feel bad closing this off before we give you an opportunity to for a call to arms, I guess, like, uh, you know, there'll be people hopefully downloading and listening to this with 24 hours to go <laughs> until the big day on Saturday. Is there a way, you know, latecomers can get involved and how would they find out where stuff is going? Yeah, on?
0: absolutely. So our website, um, has a list of, I believe it's 15 now, I think. Oh God. Yes, I think count. 13 towns and cities a- possibly
3: yeah. 15 locations 15 yeah.
0: locations so there are 15 locations where actions are happening across the country uh, obviously as you said 24 hours ago it's, it's a bit late to organize any further ones at this uh, late stage so but please people can get along, people can get support, along. Yeah, we're we're, we're yeah. in all the, you know most of the major cities in England we're in Wales as well so we, this this movement is spread it's across the country go to our website find find the action nearest you and come along and join in and together at midday we're going to have a minute silence um to honor all the victims of road violence across the UK. And I think that's going to send a really, really powerful message to those in charge.
2: Good luck with that. Thanks very much uh, for coming along. And uh, it's the first day of many, right? That you'll, There'll be further events organised.
0: So yeah, absolutely. Keep, we, we're we're going stretch. to keep this pressure up. You know, when we kept the pressure up in Birmingham, we started getting seats at tables with people and people yeah. wanted to hear what, you know, what our ideas were for change. And as Adam said, some of those changes are happening now. There's no reason we can't achieve this on a national scale.
2: Sarah, Matt, thank you very much. And now, of course, you've guested on Pod Streets Ahead. The whole thing is just going to change for you. It's just going to go viral. It's going to go I've got my shades shades ready for when I leave the building. (laughs) Thanks very much to Adam and Laura as well. You've been listening to Streets Ahead. Our editor has been Claire Mansell. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate and review us. Share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy.
4: Bye. Bye.